Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for your podcast, Sharing Sweat Equity, a business podcast hosted by your El Paso Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and the Minority Women's Enterprise Diversity Center. Before we get you into the podcast, let me talk to you about our sponsors for the show. If you're looking for real estate in El Paso, reach out to our friends at Epicenter, 915-532-3456. They have locations all over El Paso. I would also like to thank our podcast sponsor, Sun Carpets, for their sponsorship of our podcast room. Let me go ahead and introduce you to our moderator for the show, Mr. Mike McQueen. He is our current chairman of the board at your El Paso Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and is a partner at Kemp Smith Law. As a partner in the firm's labor and employment department, Mike McQueen's practice primarily consists of defending employers in employment-related litigation and providing counseling to avoid such lawsuits. He has been board certified in labor and employment law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization for 25 years. Mr. McQueen has successfully represented clients to verdict before the state and federal courts in Texas, the Federal District Court in New Mexico, and various federal and administrative agencies in El Paso, Austin, Santa Fe, and the Southwest region. He has represented employers in union organizing campaigns and defending against unfair labor practice charges before the National Labor Relations Board, Regions 16 and 28. He has also represented clients in proceedings under the Occupational Safety and Health Act. Now, let me go ahead and, and throw it over to Mike McQueen. Mike, go ahead and take it away. Thanks, Patrick. Uh, and our guest today is Colonel Michael uh, Oshiki, who is the commander at William Beaumont uh, General Hospital here on, at Fort Bliss. Uh, we're, we're pleased to have him William here. William Beaumont Army Medical Center. William so. Beaumont Army Medical Center, exactly. Uh, I've spent I've, I've spent time at William Beaumont. In fact, after we're done, I'll tell you a, a funny story about my football physical there my <laughs> senior year at Burgess. Uh, the, Dr. Oshiki and Colonel Oshiki, which, which one would you prefer, or does it matter? Mike is fine. Mike, that, that's me too. Uh, anyway, Mike is a, is a graduate of the University of Wisconsin in Madison, uh, in the Big Ten, and then spent seven years in the Army, uh, actually came to Fort Bliss as a cavalry officer uh, before going to medical school and, and obtaining his medical degree. Uh, he's had a distinguished medical career. Uh, he's got an MD degree from the Uniformed Services University and a master's degree, though, in National Security Resource Strategy. Uh, and uh, he's a fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians and also uh, uh, a member of the American College of Healthcare Executives and the American Association of Physician Leadership. Uh, he assumed command at uh, William Beaumont in July of 2019, and unfortunately we're going to lose him here in a few months because it's a two-year stint, and he will, he will move on in uh, July of 2021, though, to become the Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Ar Deputy Assistant uh, Secretary of the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs Medical. So Medical deputy. Have to go back to uh, Washington, D.C.? I, I am finally going to do a tour at the Pentagon. I have uh, oh my steadfastly gosh. avoided that throughout my career and uh, no more. <laughs> you will miss El Paso, I promise. I will absolutely miss El Paso. Never imagined I'd be back here. Uh, and the, it's been wonderful. Just seeing the change, yeah, 30 years, 
the, the uh, this city changed a lot. Some things didn't change so much. There, I think the yeah, some of the places on Dyer Street and Fred Wilson still look about the same as they did uh, yeah, yeah, thirty plus years ago. But the uh, the city has grown uh, so much. One thing that hasn't changed though, Mike, is the yeah, the people are still as wonderful uh, as they were, and I feel uh, as at home here now as I did uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, that, that's tremendous, and that's a, that's a great uh, tribute to El Paso. Uh, they finally, the pandemic, though, finally closed Sorrento's. I don't know if you saw it that. It did. Uh, it did. And Elmer's. Uh, the, Elmer's uh, closed, too. Oh Elmer's gosh. on Montana. That used to be where we would go uh, on Friday after PT. Uh, the, uh, the troop commander and all the lieutenants would go to Elmer's for breakfast after PT. Oh, so. that's great. Uh, okay, so... Seven years as a line officer in the cavalry uh, in the Third uh, Armored Division. Third Armored Cavalry Regiment here at Fort Bliss. I All deployed right. to uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm out of here. The so, what what switched you over to medicine then? So, I got into medical school in 1986, and the uh, was I had gone to college on an ROTC scholarship, mm -hmm. and imagined that I would be you know, the um, that I would the, uh, uh, be going to medical school, and, and then I did a uh, I did a uh, a cadet rotation with a cavalry unit, and fell in love with uh, yeah with with the with the cav mentality. So the um, uh, I I decided I was going to go you know, uh, fight the Russians in the Folda Gap, and yeah instead I end up uh, yeah fighting Iraqis in Kuwait and. Uh, the, uh, and after the first Gulf War said, yeah, maybe that uh, medical school thing wasn't such a bad idea after all. So. And so then you came back and you went to uh, uh, Uniform Services uh, University. We tell us a little bit about that. I, I've yeah, not heard of so that. it's a, the um, it's it's called America's Medical School. Uh, it was founded in 1972. Uh, in it's in Bethesda, Maryland. I as a kid, I saw it being built. Uh, the and yeah, again, never imagined I would be back there as a as a student. Yeah, the um, yeah, years later, but. Uh, yeah, it's, so it's uh, it takes uh, students uh, for all uh, all three military services: Army, Navy, and Air Force. Uh, the Marine Corps has Navy docs, so they're, they're, it's all Navy, and then uh, public health service, U.S. public health service, and the uh, the it's four years of medical school uh, with no tuition. You get paid as a second lieutenant. So uh, one of the few ways you can get busted as an officer, I, mean, I was a captain and I got uh, demoted to second lieutenant <laughs> for, uh, for four years. Uh, but the, and then you have a seven-year obligation after residency. So the, um, because of that long service obligation, many graduates from the Uniformed Services University end up becoming career uh, military medical officers. And that's the, so it's sort of the West Point of military medicine, if you will. Uh, and, and, and it's available to anybody in any branch. It is so. Yeah, the, uh, obviously, there's uh, a number of prior service folks that uh, that apply, but yeah, the majority of the of the students are you know, have no prior military experience, so they'll go through yeah officer basic uh, course, and then yeah the and then a, an indoctrination period, and then they uh, they get commissioned as second lieutenants and and go to medical school for four years. And so then you did your residency there. Uh where, where did you do your residency? Fort Belvoir, Virginia. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I graduated from medical school in 98, and then uh, 
the, did a three-year family medicine residency at Fort Belvoir, graduated uh, uh, June uh, 30th of, uh, of 2001. And then a few months later, 9-11 happened. And then uh, the, it was off to uh, Afghanistan and then Iraq and, and then back to Iraq. Uh, I had a number of uh, operational assignments. Um, the, I was, my first assignment out of residency, I was the chief of primary care at Fort Eustis, Virginia, uh, the, at the community hospital there, McDonald Army Community Hospital. And then, the, uh, and then as 9-11 yeah, happened, and yeah, and then I was off. They plucked me out of there and off to Afghanistan. <laughs> Well, I notice on your uniform you got the parachutist badge. So, when when did when did you uh, when no, did you? I was airborne class thirty seven eighty five. I went when I was uh, was a ROTC cadet. Oh, I see. All right. So, uh, but then uh, I had uh, the, when I was uh, assigned to you know, first special forces group. I had uh, yeah, I was back on airborne status again. So the did a number of, uh, of jumps with them. So. so so you weren't necessarily functioning just in a medical capacity during your deployment. So yeah, the uh, what, what's ironic is so in uh, in 2003, uh, I I went uh, we were going into Iraq and I, I literally went past the very spot where I finished the first Gulf War uh, the yeah 12 years earlier uh, and never imagined I would be back in that you know, piece of sand uh, mm -hmm. the uh, outside of uh, Basra uh, uh, Al Nasiriyah Air Base and just never in my wildest dreams that I think I'm going to be back here and then you know as many times as I would end up going back uh, yeah, to Iraq again it was it was it was odd but what the uh, as a as a battalion surgeon uh, and a light infantry uh, battalion first battalion 32nd infantry never imagined I would be doing more direct combat as a doc than I did when I was a cav officer and and, and fighting uh, in Iraq in uh, in 1991 it just the yeah, it, it, in a in a nonlinear battlefield, um, the in, a, in counterinsurgency, it's the the enemy's everywhere. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, um, what got you into into administration in the medical field? So the um, I had a number of uh, of operational assignments where I was was working as a command surgeon at every level from the battalion up to the Corps uh, uh, and everything in between uh, as a command surgeon, uh, as a staff officer. The, um, I'd been a company commander uh, in, my, uh, in my combat arms days. The, um, and, I, and my mentors uh, said, Mike, you're, uh, you've got uh, a diverse background as a soldier and leader as well as a physician. Yeah, we need people like you yeah, yeah, to lead our organization. And so I tossed my hat in the ring for, uh, for command. Uh, I was selected. Uh, my first, the uh, uh, 06 level command was as the commander of Fox Army Health Center in Redstone Arsenal, Alabama. Uh, and then I did a, a year at the National Defense University in D.C. and then, and then came back here. So the yeah, again, never imagining I would be back, yeah, yeah, thirty plus years later as the commander of the same hospital that was here when I was yeah. A Which young you lieutenant. probably went to so, for appointments or things, right? Exactly, exactly. Oh, that's great. Um, and so, how did what was William Beaumont like when you came back? So the um, yeah it. It looked very similar from the outside as it did in the in the in the 1980s. Um, the 
it was the it was very uh, it was very interesting being you know, uh, coming back as my first time back to Fort Bliss since I'd been stationed here you know, the uh, before uh, first time as a, as a physician and the um, it was the uh, it, it it felt like coming home uh, in a lot of ways just the uh, even though I had never you know, been at the hospitals other than a patient you know, the it was the, uh, it felt like coming back to a community that you know, that I knew, and and the advantage of having of military medicine is it's a fairly small community, and uh, there are some folks that I I knew that were here. Um, the so it was yeah uh, it, it was like uh, coming back to you know it was like a family reunion in a lot of ways. I don't think a lot of folks understand how how good the quality of care is in in military medicine. I know. Uh, I explained to you earlier, my father was in the Army for 30 years, and he had two very complicated surgeries up there at William Beaumont. But uh, in, in each instance, there was a physician that was on a, either a temporary assignment or was coming here for, for some assignment. One was from Walter Reed, and I don't remember where the other one was from. But they, the, the standard of care, I think, is quite high in the military hospitals. Yeah, a lot of the, uh, it is. And, and one of the things that's interesting is the, um, in military medicine, we are very transparent uh, with, our, uh, with our quality data. Um, not, uh, not all civilian, so we have a requirement to be transparent about it. Um, and what kind of data are we talking about? So, like the, uh, uh, it's called uh, NISQIP, the National Surgical Quality Improvement Program. Uh, the, you know, we're required to, uh, uh, by uh, military medicine, requires us to be very open and transparent. So, if the, if something happens where uh, we have a complication or uh, the things that that uh, uh, they're called sentinel events in medicine, if you know, when. Yeah, when somebody leaves a, uh, an instrument inside a patient, or, I mean, those things happen. Sure. Uh, the, um, we're very transparent about it. We publish our data and we're open about it. And we have, uh, we have the, some of the best uh, outcomes, uh, uh, I mean, on par with some of the best hospitals in America. The, and, uh, but not every hospital in America shares their data like we are. So when something bad does happen, yeah, it's out there because we're transparent about it. And, and people like to pick up on those things you know, because we're open about it. So you can say, oh, well, this bad thing happened here. Well, yeah, because we're telling you about it. The same things are happening at hospitals around the country. You just don't hear about it because they're not open with their data. Yeah, I remember one of the surgeries my father had, a, a, a colleague of mine had to have a similar surgery. And he had to go to UCLA Medical Center in Los Angeles to get it, and my father got it right here at Fort, uh, at uh, William Beaumont. A lot of the uh, a lot of advances in in medicine writ large come from military medicine. Um, the uh, and some of it is yeah you know, is by nature yeah the um, yeah the the trauma of war on the human body uh, the forces uh, these advances. You know a lot of the. A lot of uh, what's going on, the sort of the signature wound from you know, the last 20 years uh, has been traumatic brain injury. So we have learned so much about traumatic brain injury as a result of you know, the work being done in military medicine. And, and, oh, by the way, that translates, you know, so we've partnered with the NFL for, and the NHL and, you know, on traumatic brain injury because there's, you know, that's a concern you know, for, uh, for prof professional athletes as well. So the, these collab, the, the, the work done in military medicine goes far beyond just uh, military members.
That would make sense, especially with the concussion protocols and all of exactly. that. Exactly. Uh, how how big is the staff at William Beaumont? So we have a little over 4,000 uh, folks, about uh, uh, a quarter of them are military and three quarters uh, civilian. And how many of them are doctors? So uh, we, have, uh, we have about uh, 437 who are uh, credentialed medical professionals. And do they rotate through like, uh, like you're rotating for two years and things like that? So we have the, um, uh, we have uh, res that, so that we have 437 physicians and then we have uh, uh, sev uh, several hundred uh, other, uh, other professionals as well. We have, uh, so we're an academic medical center, so we have residency programs mm -hmm. the, um, uh, in, the, uh, in internal medicine, general surgery, uh, orthopedic surgery, uh, and a transitional internship uh, for physicians. And then we have a number of other educational programs for both officer and enlisted uh, uh, specialties. So uh, everything from surgical techs, x-ray techs, uh, uh, LVNs, nurses, yeah, the, uh, we're uh, part of the clinical nurse transition program for registered nurses who are officers, uh, uh, psychology, physical therapy, uh, all, we're a training platform for, uh, for a lot of different specialties. Wow. Uh, do you, uh, how, how large is the population that you're serving here? So the, with our unique partnership with the, Veterans, the El Paso Veterans Administration, uh, we take care of uh, uh, over 150,000 beneficiaries uh, in, the, uh, in the greater El Paso area. Wow. Do, do you guys have a, any sort of a relationship like with Texas Tech uh, or with the other local hospitals? Absolutely. So the, uh, um, we are, uh, our community partners are, uh, are phenomenal, whether, you know, the uh, Texas Tech, Hospitals of Providence, uh, the uh, Del Sol, you know, we work very closely with our, our medical partners uh, doing uh, the, because I have more surgeons than I have space for them to operate, uh, they will operate uh, on our patients uh, in civilian facilities uh, uh, on an agreement. Uh, we also have training agreements where uh, our physicians uh, are in these civilian hospitals as well. In fact, uh, uh, during uh, the August 3rd uh, mass casualty event, uh, you know, the, we had a number of our surgeons that were, yeah, that were working in those facilities as part of their, uh, the rotation to keep their skills up and, and were taking care of the, the casualties from, uh, from that tragic day. Well, and I can imagine their experience in military medicine was probably very helpful that day. So there's, uh, um, there was one, uh, one of our uh, surgeons, uh, uh, yeah, an orthopedic trauma surgeon who was, the, uh, who was on, on call that day and was, uh, he was interviewed afterwards and he's like, yeah, this is the, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that we deal with all the time. Uh, are you disappointed you're not going to get to move into the new hospital? Oh, I'm moving into the new hospital. You are? We are going to move into the, yeah. I think that it's going to happen the um, late spring. We're going to get there. I keep hearing that, but I've been hearing that for years. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm confident. I'm, we are, we are uh, in the home stretch right now, and this has been... Yeah, there's a lot of lessons learned uh, from this project uh, for uh, for uh, for military uh, hospital construction. The uh, but we are uh, we are uh, in we are absolutely in the home stretch. Um, the it was a you know, all the stakeholders uh, between the Corps of Engineers, the Health Facilities Planning Agency, Army Medicine, uh, and our contractor partners. Uh, there's there's. 
yeah, a, a, a progressively smaller list of things that we gotta yeah, we gotta tweak to get right. Uh, but it is the it is absolutely the home stretch, and the um, we are we are going to have a commemoration ceremony on July first. That's the 100th anniversary of uh, the very first William Beaumont Army Medical Center on Fort Bliss. Yeah, uh, in on on July first, 1921. Yeah, we're gonna that 100th anniversary is going to be the commemoration ceremony. I think we'll be moved in before that, but the. Um, but it's the, the commemoration that we're tying the big commemoration of the new hospital to the 100th anniversary. And, and can you give us kind of a brief overview of what the new hospital is going to be able to provide that the, that the current one doesn't? The, the size alone gives you a, uh, an, an illustration of how the, of the change. So the current hospital, uh, uh, 687, uh, I'm sorry, 637,000 square feet. The new uh, hospital is 1.13 million square feet, almost twice the size. So the uh, the physical space is uh, is phenomenal. The uh, the, the technological capabilities uh, in the new hospital are are amazing. We uh, we increase the number of operating suites. You know, uh, so we go from eight operating rooms in our core space now to ten. Uh, then we have a, a hybrid operating room uh, there, which has some of the the newest, most advanced surgical technology in the world. One of the a handful of hybrid operating rooms in uh, uh, in the state of Texas. So very excited about that. What What do you mean by hybrid? So it br it, it brings in the uh, it brings in Technology it allows uh, for uh, uh, for robotic surgery. It has the the imaging. Yeah, all the X-ray imaging is uh, is set up in the yeah, in the suite already. So it's not where you have to bring in a yeah, a portable machine. It's all integrated into the operating room itself. It's a uh, it's phenomenal. Would love to give you a tour and, and show you the yeah the new facility. It's I'll take you up on that, and I'm yeah. sure Cindy will want to go too. Uh, 135 uh, 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 patient beds, but it's expandable because they're all single patient rooms. And you you when you've been at at the current facility, that's a legacy facility from the you know, from the early 1970s, and it looks like it. So the you know, we we've done some you know, some upgrades over time. Yeah the uh, but it is yeah you know, it's an older facility. It was designed to have multiple patients you know, multi-patient rooms. That's not the standard anymore in medicine. The standard is single patient room. So every room is a single room, but you know, we're, we also have a wartime mission. So it's ex because you can put, yeah, they're big. So you can put more than one patient in there if you had to. So if we were taking casualties from a conflict in Korea, for example, you know, now we could, you know, we could expand significantly you know, the, over that 135. And do casualties from some of these overseas theaters they come to to William Beaumont and absolutely the yeah so the particularly folks that are you know, that are from Fort Bliss you know we try to get uh, you know, soldiers back as close you know, to their uh, their families as possible so the um, yeah fortunately the yeah the number of, of injured soldiers from overseas is you know, is relatively low right now but when we every time we you know we are we are constantly you know, the updating our plans for you know, what if something were to go wrong we are we're a major mobilization platform here uh, on Fort Bliss so a lot of units you know deploy out of Fort Bliss they redeploy out of Fort Bliss you know for um, National Guard and Army Reserve units have you uh, have you had to deal with a, a lot of COVID-19 patients up there at William Beaumont? 
COVID-19 has been the, uh, was a significant emotional event for the city of El Paso and for our healthcare system in, uh, in November of last year, um, our city was nearly overwhelmed. Um, the, and one of the things that we did at William Beaumont was the taking in, uh, our, our beneficiaries who were hospitalized in all of the surrounding, uh, facilities, the, and bringing them into William Beaumont. We actually had to expand our, uh, intensive care unit, um, the, and to, to handle all of the COVID patients. And we, we transferred over 200 patients in from the city, yeah, to, yeah, to help with the, with the incredible burden. Uh, that COVID was placing on on our healthcare system, and that was, yeah. I mean, it was. We felt like we were on deployment, uh, the because the we were, uh, and and our agility as an organization really showed. I mean, we we expanded to over 300 beds in the hospital. Um, the we normally we're normally staffed uh, at 100 and, uh, 109 in the in the current facility. And we expanded to over 300. So three able, times, wow! To be able to handle the the surge of patients, we didn't we didn't end up having to use all of them, fortunately. But that expansion was uh, yeah, made possible by the the agility that we have in, in military medicine. And now, are you doing vaccinations? We are indeed. The um, we just got a, a shipment of vaccine in yesterday, and the um, we are uh, we're working. We've had we have about. Uh, uh, about little over uh, twenty percent of our uh, of our eligible population that we've vaccinated so far. So, the, um, and we're going to continue to aggressively uh, vaccinate anybody that uh, uh, that wants it. And and, and I think that we're going to see uh, an increased uh, pace as vaccine becomes more available here uh, in the coming months. The uh, there's a lot of folks that have been waiting, and and we're going to get them vaccinated. Do you get your uh, vaccines through a different pipeline than the than the civilian hospitals or civilian so agencies? So the uh, the uh, the military uh, has a certain allocation of vaccine production. So um, and we get them straight from the manufacturer. Uh, so we're we in our case, you know, the, we're we're using the Pfizer uh, vaccine. So you know, we get it direct. It comes, you know, it gets manufactured and it gets shipped straight to us on allocation. The the Department of Defense allocates, you know, who gets what. And, uh, and but we get it shipped directly from the manufacturer. Doctor Colonel, thank you so much for joining us today for this podcast, and uh, and good luck with your next assignment. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been a pleasure.